Coming up on this edition of Heart and Soul, we'll have you singing the blues with some young talents honing their skills at Chicago's most famous blues club. It gets to me, and the music also gets to your heart. There's nothing more American than music, and there's nothing more musical than America than the blues. We listen to the sounds of maestro Paul Freeman, who's bringing classical music to the masses. I could not have imagined that it would grow to such an extent that there would be this tremendous upsurge of interest and energy behind the orchestra. And two young ladies tee off on local golf courses for practice, practice, and more practice while taking life's lessons to heart. They just want to practice, they want to get better, and they want to listen and learn. It's all next. I'm Charles Thomas. And I'm Leah Hope. And welcome to another edition of Heart and Soul, where we uncover what's new and exciting right here in the city that we call home. And speaking of sweet home, Chicago. Chicago has an annual outdoor festival that celebrates the blues each year. Hundreds of artists grace several stages in Grant Park for a jam session that is filled with good music. Just recently, we found a group of Blues Fest hopefuls preparing for their Windy City debuts. Take a look at how these blues boys and girls came ready to jam. While most kids their age are listening to superstar sensations Justin Bieber and Beyonce, these new schoolers prefer jamming to old school music like B.B. King, Etta James, and Willie Dixon, just to name a few. It gets to me. The blues has a good culture, you know, and the music also gets to your heart. And while some of these aspiring blues folks have been playing since they were toddlers, a handful have played for less than a year. They all have one thing in common, a love for music with deep roots in the South. I hadn't learned much about the blues. I hadn't gotten much schooling or teaching in the blues, so I figured this would be a good opportunity to meet other musicians that had the same goals as me and also learn about the blues at the same time. These musicians, who range in age from 7 to 22, recently traveled to the Windy City for a camp that was designed to keep blues music alive. Seventy-one kids from as far west as California, as far south as Texas, and east as New York landed here for the chance to jam with their peers. I love music a lot. I'm, I'm not sure I'd pursue that full time, but I definitely want to incorporate it into whatever I'm doing and hopefully teach others, because I feel like music is something that, you know, you, you learn something and then you give back to someone else. The Blues Camp, in its inaugural year, had one goal, to develop these prodigies for future success while cultivating friendships with other talented kids who share their passion. Are you ready? Are you ready? I wanted to have a place where kids from all colors, all backgrounds, all parts of the world where they can come together and they can be one, they could be kids, 
two, they can play the blues. So when you have these kids get together now, where you have these nine, 10, 11, 12 year old kids playing with kids in their age group, they can secretly assess themselves and say, hey man, I really am good. Or they may see a skill that they don't have that you have, and then they learn. In order to be accepted, students auditioned for the week-long camp that was held at Columbia College of Chicago. What does a good musician do? Listen. What does a good musician do? Listen. Give yourselves a round of applause, y'all. Known around town as the 21st century blues man, Mr. Jones teaches the blues ensemble at Columbia College of Chicago and also works with Blues Kids of America, an organization he founded that partners with schools around the United States to preserve the rich history of blues music. We're going into schools, we're doing festivals. A lot of times we do stuff just to do it for the blues as if the blues is our little baby. There's so many young kids, but it's neat because they're such accomplished musicians already. They formed bands, participated in workshops, and learned music theory, style, and performance from some well-known artists on the blues circuit. You ain't but a hound dog. I had no one to do this for me when I was growing up, and it just makes me feel good to see that we can get kids to continue our legacy. Each day of the camp, the students were faced with practice, practice, and more practice until it was finally showtime. If I don't practice and I just waste this gift, I'm gonna go nowhere in five years. If I really work hard in this and practice and really be serious about this, then I could go a lot, really far. On the final day of camp, these future headliners made their way to Buddy Guy's Legends for a chance to make their own history. From the youngest to the oldest, these tweens were ready. They came dressed in their Sunday best, fedora hats, two-piece suits, and instruments as tall and wide as their own bodies. Welcome to Buddy Guy's Legends, everybody. I think it's just good for them to be able to see a real blues club. You know, a lot of times kids aren't allowed after a certain time, so it's good that they can come in here and at least soak it up a little, you know, get the environment. We've got more under five foot tall blues players than anybody in America. Oh, yeah. There's nothing more American than music and there's nothing more musical in America than the blues. It's just unbelievable because they haven't been taking music lessons for a whole year, and here they are already at Buddy Guy's and singing with Jimmy Reed's daughter. It felt exciting, and I think I did good, and my brother did good too. So I'm proud of myself, and my brother should be too. not that many kids that share his passion for the music. This is a special place for him, so I was happy for him. It's a thrill because I, I always wanted to play Buddy Guys and finally to have it be done. You know, it's a nice feeling. Now those are some talented kids who really know their way around their instruments. I think we need to get their autographs now before they hit the big time. Okay. 
We've got to take a break, but when we come back, a dynamic duo who might be the divas of multitasking. Welcome back to the show. You know, it's refreshing to know that in this male-dominated world of sports, there are a few women being groomed for a takeover. These unstoppable ladies are proving that age is nothing but a number when it comes to being successful. Take a look at this dueling duo. At 10 and 12, they've got power, stamina, and a drive out of this world. They dance, play the piano, have black belts in Taekwondo, and they really know how to kick some. To many parents, that might seem like a lot, but for the Jackson clan, this is as normal as it gets. They feel incomplete if they aren't always doing something. They'll say, what are we doing today? What's on the schedule today? So that's kind of our way of life here. A routine schedule for Erica and Maya Jackson is learning how to play the piano with longtime friend Felicia Williams, dance lessons at Mayfair Academy, being a sister to every Girl Scout. And we can't forget earning black belts in Taekwondo. They have very good leadership abilities. They're very good hearted and they like to teach and always help all the time. So I think they can accomplish anything personally. They like to win. They like to be at the top of whatever they do, like to be first. And they're good students too. Make no mistake about it, these jack-of-all-trade gals are still your average 10 and 12-year-olds. They go outside, play in the park, even manage to have fun with their younger brother at home. But when it comes down to the business of golf, it's all work and no play. I brought them to first golf clubs and we took them to lessons and we started with Erica. At four, she took lessons for 15 minutes twice a week. They took to golf. They didn't know at that age that everybody doesn't play golf. We do golf during the school year at least three times a week. And um, during the summer, we try and golf every day. From the tender age of four, both Erica and Maya's extracurricular time has been immersed in lessons, tournaments, and traveling in and out of state, and hitting lots of balls. They pick up really quickly, so I can just tell them exactly what to do, and they'll be able to change it and, and do what they're supposed to do. They just want to practice, they want to get better, and they want to listen and learn. They're able to apply everything that I tell them instantly. This is where the magic happens. You could win a tournament from making a long putt or chipping it, or maybe even if you're in the sand trap, you can uh, get it in the cup from there. And that's why it's my favorite, because you can get it up there in three shots and chip in and still come out with a par. All right. Since they've been playing, they've won over two dozen first place trophies and have been dubbed the Williams Sisters of Golf. I always call my Serena Venus of Golf. They practice tennis like we practice golf. I'm honored and flattered to hear them pegged as the Williams Sisters of Golf because they are two African-American sisters in a sport that you don't traditionally see a lot of African-Americans in at a higher level. 
I think they can make it if they keep their focus and desire and their passion good and they can make it all the way to the top. I would love to make that a reality. I would love to see it happen. When playing on a course was not an option, the girls' parents transformed their basement into a virtual course to keep them focused on the game. When we're chipping, we kind of go to the 50. And um, when we're usually hitting a driver, we'd aim for, say, 150 or the 200. These gals standing under five foot tall are fierce. Erica drives the ball 220 yards, Maya 200 yards. Maya's claim to fame came last year in a tournament where her low score was a 30 on a nine hole course. You kind of feel kind of exciting. It's almost unbelievable at times to see these two little girls, I remember as babies, you know, at the point where they are now, and it seems like just yesterday. Although they share a love of the game of golf, they do have differences. Maya plays with Callaway clubs, while Erica plays with tailor-made clubs. Erica has a handicap of eight, while Maya is still waiting to qualify. And when you ask this dynamic duo, who's the better player? They both have such different responses. She's better than me when I was her age. It really is an up and down process between who's better because Erica just added 20 yards on her driver. We have the same practice times. We do everything together. So Maya's had more practice than me. Erica has helped me beat my competition because of how, since she's older, I have to try and reach up to her. She has better um, focus than I would have at, that, at her age. Although playing golf comes rather easily, these two starlets are warm, fun-loving girls who shine mostly because of their hearts. I'm proud of their pride. When they hit two or three bad shots in a row and the, the tournament's on the line, instead of giving up, we fight. My hope is to see them on the LPGA one day. And I want to see them going back into the community, teaching golf to others. My plan for golf is to, you know, like win a couple of LPGA tournaments and become a teacher. And I just really love teaching people. Oftentimes I'm out on the course with them in a tournament and the uh, competitors, the parents of the competitors will say, Erica and I are such nice and pleasant girls to be around. And to me, that really makes me proud. It goes without saying that they got game. I cannot wait to see what the future holds for them. Okay, we've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we sit down for a one-on-one -on -one with a maestro of classical music. Welcome back to Heart and Soul. In 1987, Paul Freeman was asked to form a group of artists who reflected African-American culture and shared a love for classical music. Here's a look at how one man's vision has impacted countless people around the world. Since it began in 1987, the Chicago Sinfonietta has fascinated audiences with its powerful rendition of classical music performed by musicians, composers, and soloists of a diverse background. 
This premier organization of its kind was the brainchild of Paul Freeman. Our mission artistically was to establish the excellence and performance that was necessary to bring off several works which were written for small orchestra. One of the big joys was the development of the audience because we were able to cultivate uh, uh, something like 40 to 45 percent African Americans in the audience on a regular basis and this was quite unheard of around the country. Each season, audiences were fascinated by the Sinfonietta's methodical approach to make the renditions come alive by adding elements of excitement and mixed mediums. Well, we found that the, perhaps the most successful program that we have had with dancers are those programs which salute Dr. Martin Luther King because there's an abstract spiritual quality that the dancer can bring In 1996, this poised man was appointed music director of the Czech National Symphony Orchestra in Prague, a position he still holds while leading the Chicago Sinfonietta. I think of Paul as a really important historical figure in classical music. Uh, he is a pioneer, um, someone who really broke the glass ceiling for African American and minority conductors all across the world. To date, subscriptions have increased, and this captivating group under Maestro Freeman's direction has completed 14 recordings in 23 years. We tried to make classical music available to everybody. You will come into the concert hall and see people with blue jeans on, as well as people with tuxedos. So and this, is, this, this is an excellent mix. The Sinfonietta has cultivated relationships within the community in an attempt to foster the next generation of aspiring musicians. The program SEED, student ensembles with excellence and diversity, partners students with its own musicians. Understanding the importance of nurturing young talent, the Sinfonietta's outreach program, Audience Matters, introduces Chicago Public School fourth and fifth graders to the orchestra. There are trips to concerts and lots of in-school workshops. It has been a joy to see how the kids develop and return, and that's over a two-decade period. Some of the young students who were coming to concerts 20 years ago are still coming. For this conductor, seeing how far the Sinfonietta has progressed in such a short period is mind-boggling to say the least. I could not have imagined that it would grow to such an extent that there would be this tremendous upsurge of interest and energy behind the orchestra. He's been around the world and back, guest conducting over 100 orchestras in 30 countries and still looking to do more. When I first came to the Chicago Sinfonietta, uh, I loved to tell corny jokes. And I, st I started telling jokes in rehearsal, and I noticed that the musicians were a bit restless. So some of them liked the jokes and some of them didn't. Whether they thought his jokes were funny or not, those who know him well will remember Paul Freeman for more than that. 
What I'll miss most about Paul is really the friendship and the partnership that we've established. One, two, three, four. Da 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 da. Known by many for his wit and joke telling, surprisingly, Maestro Freeman was at a loss for words when asked what he would like his legacy to be. It's very difficult to speak about one's own contribution. To talk about it, it's, it's very difficult for me because I plan to be active a number of years yet. Although his humility prevented him from thoroughly answering the question, those closest to Freeman were able to sound off on the many ways he's made an impact on society. Well, I think in some ways he'll be thought of as the Martin Luther King of classical music, the person who changed the direction, who made people aware and really passionate about seeing our orchestras represent our entire communities. At the end of the 2011 season, Maestro Freeman will retire as music director of the organization he birthed 24 years ago. But we know his life and legacy will continue. But I've made over 200 CDs. I think in the end, the legacy will probably be the recording. What a fascinating man who's accomplished so much during his long and storied career. And if you'd like to see the maestro in his 24th and final season, tickets can be purchased at the Sinfonietta's box office or online. Don't go away because there's more heart and soul after the break. If you'd like any information about the stories you've seen, or perhaps you'd like to suggest a story, just log on to our website, abc7chicago.com. That's the end of the show. Thanks for watching. Now, we'd like to leave you with the Blues Kids. See you next time on Heart and Soul.